Hey everybody, this is another edition of our mini-series on hum- the Human Performance Project with Dr. Noah Moose and Jason Brooks. This is going to be episode three of the series. We've got one more. Today we're talking about diet and nutrition. Before we get into that, and we've talked about it a little bit here and there already, but before we get into that, we have a special guest to introduce somehow, some way, sitting in the Austin Rogue Running podcast booth is Olympic gold medalist Matthew Sentowitz. Matthew Sentowitz, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to be up in this. Uh, <laughs> wish everyone could kind of see the booth we're in right now, but we're we're elevated off the ground in the in the tank. Yeah, surrounded by plywood. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of insane that we just happen to score you as a member of this now mini of this mini series. Before we jump into our topic, though, we've got to dig in on you a little bit. What brings you to Austin, first of all? Uh, good weather, great food. Um, no, uh, Dr. Noah Moose, um, yeah, he's uh, the man, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm down here. Um, kind of been battling a, a couple injuries um, the last couple of months, and um, we, uh, we, have a, we have a mutual friend, and uh, he suggested to come down and Fortunately, Noah was able to open up his schedule for me and see me on short notice. And so just kind of getting that figured out right now and um, worked out really well. Uh, my little sister just moved down here as well about a week ago. So um, got to got to get fixed up and, and got to see some uh, family as well. So kind of kill two birds, one stone. Yeah. And hang out here at Rogue, which is pretty awesome. Thanks, yep. for, thanks yep. for taking the time. Of course. Now, I do have to, as we jump into this, dive into your recent transition to the Bowerman Track Club. I had Kate Grace on earlier on the Running Rogue, the main podcast with her teammate, Colleen Quigley. They were talking about your transition to the team going pretty smoothly because you were crushing it with pizza and bachelor nights. We've got an update, though, for the, for the audience that you got second in your Bowerman Track Club bachelor pool. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty, that's pretty awesome. It is very impressive. Um, probably one of my... Uh, biggest uh awards to date i would imagine um <laughs> it's not a I gold mean, medal but th- it's there <laughs> were there were about a dozen people you know um and no background on on who's going to do well and i didn't look at any spoilers and um pretty pleased with that second place finish you know by i think eight points so um yeah it was it was a it was a fun team bonding exercise experience that we did in, in at camp and um it was a, a very dramatic uh, finale, as as the Bachelor likes to say, the most dramatic the most finale dramatic of all, ever. <laughs> ever. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it was fun with the with the team, and um, you know, obviously, uh, training w- with those guys has been new, fresh as well. And a lot of those guys I kind of knew before I joined the group, and um, I knew I'd get along with a lot of them, and so it's been it's been great so far. Well, good to have you in in the studio with us. To talk about a really interesting topic, we've, as I mentioned, we've kind of covered off on little bits and pieces of this nutrition and diet topic, but it's expansive. I think one of the things we wanted to say first, Jason, and I'll let you kind of add on to this preamble, which is that this is not a podcast to tell people what their diet should look like, because one thing that we recognize is that everybody's a little bit different. You happen to follow Jason, the paleo diet, but that's not something you're saying everybody needs to follow. The recognition is that food impacts how you feel. And so we're wanting people to to key into that a little bit better. And diet is a part of that, but there's no one fit one size fits all approach. Is that fair to say? 
That's fair to say. What else would you say, though, to caveat uh, that? I mean, you're, you're paleo as just an example, but, but you're not saying here that everybody needs to be paleo. Right. So, pa- so paleo is sort of a broad... Pale- you might call paleo a lifestyle. Um, and some people go really extreme with it and like live in communes and not wear shoes anywhere in life and that kind of thing because like shoes aren't paleo. So we'll just talk a little bit about, about the, the diet dietary part of it, right? <laughs> um, and so really the way I look at it is um, I, I, don't, I just eat real food. And, um, I, you know, paleo, so if you just take that as kind of like here's a paleo diet, don't eat any processed or refined foods, don't eat processed or refined sugars. Um, That's going to eliminate a lot of food that can be harmful, but people can still have allergies, either food allergies or food inflammation sensitivities to a lot of foods that might be covered under the paleo umbrella. And um, you also, uh, we, we may have some genetic nuances between us as human beings that would steer us away from different foods and so those are some important things to take into account and so i would advocate that for everybody i would just eat real food (laughs) um and and then we'll get into so there's kind of like two pieces we'll talk about one is diet and how we live day to day and what we eat so that we are healthy um and we try to avoid the long slow decline into the model of degeneration that we talked about last week where you know eventually you get to immune dysfunction autoimmunity maybe in neurodegenerative disease or cancer and so that's one piece of it the other piece of it is performance nutrition so if i during training during performance how am i eating this is something that Noah and i have talked a lot about because i'm an ultra runner and so for me eating is important because if I'm going for five hours or 10 hours or 15 hours or 20 hours, I need to consume a lot of food. I can't just power through a three hour marathon and call it good, maybe on like 200 calories or no food at all. And so, so there's a lot to think about as far as how I eat and drink throughout an ultra endurance competition. And then also the other thing we might talk about is the marriage between my day-to-day nutritional practices and what I do in training or in performance and how that fluctuates throughout the periodization of a training program, um, whether that cycle be six months, a year, a year and a half, two years. Yes. So, so we're talking about daily nutrition first, then performance nutrition and how that relates. Michael Pollan, Dr. Moose says, eat food, meaning real food, not too much, mostly plants. That's his sort of guidance on diet. My previous guest, Megan Lyons, mentioned that quote. Basically, it points to what you're talking about, Jason. Just eat real shit. So, is it more complicated than that? It It is. It's not that much more complicated than that. One of the things that I think that we need to look at, and this is some of the things that I wanted to lay out like in this whole thing, is, is how athletes can kind of dial in. As Jason kind of... Uh, alluded to there are some genetic things we all process things a little bit differently there are a few things that you can a few simple easy tools you can kind of use and different strategies that you can use to to really be able to dial in how you feel and and how your body's actually processing and so 
so that's uh, that's kind of what I wanted to lay out is is really the simple thing is is yeah mostly like I would say like a a, a sixty to seventy percent plant based diet you know thirty you know thirty to forty percent protein depending on you know your training load and all of those things and we'll get into a little bit later about how you can kind of figure out you know. Do I need to add in a little bit more protein to my diet? Maybe, you know, are there things where, where my body's breaking down and I'm not recovering or, you know, am I getting the, the right composition of nutrients in my, my body to make sure that it's like recovering and, and there's some easy, like at home tests that you can, you, you can kind of do to guide yourself on that. And so, so, but for the most part, I think getting rid of a lot of the refined foods and trying to keep foods as close to nature as you can and then basically figuring out your your own unique kind of carbohydrate tolerance. And let's take somebody. I, it's awesome that we legitimately have Matt here and Jason here. I mean, you couldn't be there. Two opposite ends of the spectrum. Jason runs 100 milers and Matt runs one mile. And so the basically the fuel sources and what you're going to need are going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a little bit of, of modulation that needs to happen between, you know, somebody who runs 100 milers versus somebody who's trying to, to you know, to run the mile. So there's going to be some different, you know, some similarities, but some differences in the macronutrient intake that needs to happen with, uh, w w with those two races. And so that's kind of what we want to lay out is, is understanding what your, you know, what your race is, what the goal specificity is, and then how, you know, for, from a health standpoint, making sure that you're meeting some of these like minimum requirements and then how you can optimize it based on if you're trying to run like an 800 or a mile or if you're trying to run a marathon or to the other extent, if you're trying to run 50 or 100 miles. So can we start, though, before we dive into macronutrient balance, challenging this basic assertion or not challenging, but at least discussing this basic assertion that what you eat affects how you feel, therefore affects performance. That's basically what we're talking about here. And we're asking people to be a little bit more in tune with what they eat so that ultimately they could be better at performing. But if I think about the 1980s marathoners in American distance running, you know, the Bill Rogers of the world, those guys talked about eating just everything and anything, total shit, like their bodies were furnaces because they were running 150 miles a week or whatever it may have been without really caring so much about what they put into their body. And so why is it that some people can do that and win Boston and New York a bunch of times versus others who can't? So it's kind of like what we talked about um, in some of the earlier podcasts where, you know, you can when you're when you're at a certain level, you can get away with basically your, your body's ability to pro basically in a marathon like that, like a Bill Rogers or somebody like that. They've got to. They've got to make sure they're fueled. So they were looking at the fuel standpoint, making sure that, you know, they had optimized their fuel intake, those kind of things. But one of the things that a lot of runners and athletes, and this is something that I get on uh, on the regular is we'll get, you know, an athlete that comes in that maybe has been, you know, training for, you know, five, 10 years or something post-collegiately. And they, they, they've kind of hit this place to where their body's maybe not recovering like they should. Uh, they're not, you know, performances that are a little higher or a little harder to come by they're they're maybe having more trouble with injuries and so that becomes the point to where we need to look at kind of the composition of what we're putting in our body from an inflammatory standpoint and a recovery standpoint and so it kind of goes back to that uh you know the the battery analogy that jason made the bank account analogy that that we health made reserve. yeah the health reserve concept that we were uh 
we were talking about in one of the earlier podcasts is 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 that some of these athletes just have a huge reserve and so it for longevity you it comes to a point to where you've basically like those things become super important to to make sure that you can extend and get you know the most amount of of performance and time out of your out of your career and so there comes a point to where that becomes really important from a recovery and inflammatory standpoint to allow the body to recover so yeah you can definitely you know hammer on you know like whatever you know because you're burning a ton of calories so from a standpoint you'll be decently lean you'll be you know in good shape but what does your what's going on inside your body is it uh is it are you inflamed are you having some you know chronic like tension because of, of imbalances in the body you know is your nervous system always in this kind of fight or flight activated state because of of not having enough um certain like minerals and things that help to kind of calm down the expression of the nervous system so i think that's the big difference is yeah you can definitely do it and people do it all the time but there's going to come that kind of teetering or breaking point where you've got to look at some of these other uh other things to kind of get an idea of how you need to dial in uh, dial in the diet and, and, and nutrition and those kind of things. Let's bring Matthew into this discussion. So as someone who's competing with the world's best, who's beaten the world's best, who also has a couple of world championship medals in addition to Olympic gold medal, how do you think about diet? Is it something you're super worried about that you're optimizing to a T or, or not? I think, uh, I think Noah's just literally talking about me a second ago, right, right <laughs> to me about catching up and and you know i've always put diet um not at the forefront compared to other things such as training and sleep um especially growing up i I remember in high school starting in high school my dad told me um when i went off to college he's like you know i'd rather see you go to bed because like i'm i'm you know, when you're in college, you're staying up late, you know, you're eating whatever dorm food. And, and my dad, I remember always told me, like, if you had to pick one of the two, he goes, I'd rather you go to, I'd rather you get some sleep. And I always, and it got, always stuck to me this day, like where like, you know, I can't be perfect and it's okay to, you know, slip up in, in certain areas. And I was like, as long as I'm, you know, making up, I'm training hard, I'm getting sleep. So I always kind of put that diet, um, if you want to, if so to speak, uh, as the third important thing at, compared to the other two. And, um, I feel like I have gotten away with a lot of things, um, with my diet in the past. And, um, I think a lot of athletes have, and I've seen really good NCAA champions, um, that I went to school with, um, kind of eat candy, like on the regular, which kind of made me think it was okay, you know, and, and, um, there are definitely exceptions to the rules and if there aren't, it'll definitely catch up to you. And so, um, I think now as I'm turning 30 this year, um, I, I think I'm starting to notice that I do need to start tightening up in, in a lot of areas and kind of getting tested to see what, what certain foods that I'm intaking um, regularly that might cause inflammation to myself and, and things that I've never thought about before until really listening to, to Noah speak now and just kind of talking to him last night and this morning. But um, certainly I, I'm aware of, of what a, a proper diet looks like by um, a lot of the girls on our team eat very, very healthy. Um, I mean, Shalane has a cookbook out. Um, a lot of the guys on our team eat very healthy. And so I, I would probably say I'm definitely the worst um, to, to, <laughs> to be talking about good diet with. And, and it's funny because, you know, I, I get a lot of a lot of DMs a, a day from um, high school, college kids, and, and um, you know, some people that are trying to run, um, you know, maybe not 
um, professionally, but you know, in their thirties and forties and, and whatnot about my diet, you know, and training and stuff. But diet seems to be a, a very common theme that kind of keeps popping up and, and kids, um, always wondering what, what I'm eating and, and to, to answer that right now, I would say, you know, I think when you're younger and not about getting away with things, I don't think it's quite important, at least in my eyes. I think when you're, when you're in high school, you know, whatever mom's cooking is most likely healthy. It's good enough. Um, you know, that, that's great. When you get to college, you do have to start to tighten up a few things and, and maybe that might mean not living in the dorms and cooking on your own or just kind of being aware of what you are eating, um, with certain dorm foods. Um, cause I did gain my college 15 freshman 15 within weeks. <laughs> um, and so I, and I think like, as you get older, you have to start paying attention more as my body is now like, you know, like I was telling Noah, like I'm, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm every step. I'm like, oh, there's a stress fracture there. There's one right there. Whereas <laughs> in college, you could go out on the town and wake up the next morning and go out for a long run and hammer it like you didn't go out at all. You know, and so um, certainly as you get older, I think you definitely have to start paying more and more attention. And I think that's why you don't see many athletes run in their 30 professional athletes run into their 30s. You know, they kind of have these short careers or, you know, they, they might have. um a few good years in their 20s but it gets more difficult like you have to pay attention not just to diet but to um prehab rehab um strengthening stuff uh stretching things that you don't want to pay attention to things that you've gotten away with so many years that you think that you could still get away with um and uh, i think it's kind of definitely has caught up to me the last couple of years with with certain injuries i've had well and we're a lot of our audience are adult athletes that are probably already north of 30 so unfortunately for us you have to think about it. The other part, though, is as I think about, you know, you have an Olympic gold medal, so you've beaten a bunch of, of the best, you've beaten the best in the world, and you did that at a younger age when maybe you could get, quote unquote, get away with those things. But it also, to me, says that, you know, that's another level to optimize. You know, you're already optimizing sleep and training. If you add diet in there, then that, can potentially take you to the next level. So part of it becomes how many things are you try to optimize at a given time. And for you at a time in your career, it's like, hey, I'm optimizing training and sleep. And that's where I can focus because it's hard to optimize everything. But now you've got to lift another piece up. So do you think it's about that? Do you think it's like, okay, it's not just about getting older, but it's now about trying to get to that next level and compete with those guys that are coming behind me that are now younger now you've got to add in another piece of optimization to the mix to continue to compete with those people i don't think it's so much about being able to compete with those guys about tightening up my diet for instance i think it's more about for me staying healthy i need to tighten it up to for longevity that we're mm -hmm. just talking about yep. um if i want to run into my 30s if i want to if i still feel like you know the hunger the drive is there and just for me right now is just kind of keeping that health piece because um, I still do enjoy running and training and, and racing. Um, I think it's just more when I'm hurt is when I'm really frustrated and and realize that I do need to kind of um, focus more on the diet standpoint than training. You know, I have now, now I'm 30 this year. I've been training for about half my life, you know. And so for me, I have to be, when we go back to like, you know, focusing on two out of the three, you know, obviously rest is part of recovery as well, but maybe instead of, focusing super hard on training it's more like the diet piece because i know training is going to take care of itself mm -hmm. if as long as i'm healthy as long as i'm 
feeling good. Right. And so I think it's not more like I need to tighten up my diet so I could train with these guys. And it's more like I need to tighten up my diet so I'm able to train healthy, healthy, and that will allow me to be able to compete with these guys as I've kind of already been able to do that and shown right. that it's more like the years I'm not be able to is when I'm hurt. So I think I, I, I want to follow up on what Matt said because I think that's a really important consideration. Um, and I think a lot of people, they're looking for this magic bullet through diet. And that's really not what it is. There's not, there's not a supplement. There's not a, um, th there's not a food or a style of eating or anything that's going to quote unquote make you faster. Like there's nothing you can take. There's nothing, you know, that there's no like platform that's like if you do X, if you take XYZ supplements and you do XYZ diet, you're going to win a gold medal in the Olympics, right? Like that's just not how it's going to happen. And so it's all about basically, like Matt said, you're trying to like figure out these things about how can I stay healthier? How can I recover better? How can I maximize my body's ability to recover and train? And so I think that's something that's really important for for people to, to consider is it's, it's not about looking for this like magic bullet. And, and I think that's, that's what's a lot of like diet and nutrition strategies because m most people who are writing the diet and nutrition strategy are trying to sell books. That's right. You know? Yeah. And, and so you need something. So I had a, I had a friend who she wrote like she, she's an amazing like nutritionist and all this. And she just wanted to like write about health and wellness and the book publisher that signed her to her deal. They said, they basically told her that they're like, I don't want you to like, I don't want this to be health and wellness based because it won't sell. We need to name this your diet. You need a way. gimmick. You need yeah, and and so they basically like tried to work together, and it, and it was in order for this book publisher to take her on as uh, like to to basically give her her book deal. They basically made her like develop call it a diet instead of just writing about like pieces of wellness and all of that, and so. I think that's a lot of the information that is is out there is it's it's kind of for the like the sales or shock value to to you know to get you like on board with like something or another so instead of just like sound fundamental principles sound fundamental principles that will in the long term have you feeling good yeah totally and, and, and that's the same thing with workouts i feel like a lot of people they'll ask like what what workout got you to win the olympic gold and it's like it's not a workout. And, and even if I give you the workout that I've got a lot of confidence about, it might not be the workout for you. And, you know, maybe you're more of a strength runner or, or speed-based runner. And I think it's the same thing with diet with, like, people are looking for this one workout, people looking for this one meal. And it's, like, weeks, months, years piled up of not just training that got me to that race. And it's going to be the same thing with diet, I feel like. It's not like, you know, you're looking for – like one meal or one food group or one specific thing and it's different for everyone else but it's not just going to be that one one pill like noah said you know it's not a multivitamin you can pop and, and boom and your diet's likely to change over time like what what's working well what's not depending on what's going on in your life you may need different micro or macro nutrients in your diet and so you got to kind of like think about how it fluctuates over time and I think that diet is, it's not a trade-off with anything else you're trying to optimize for, but it just synergistically works with everything. Like diet can help you improve your sleep. It can help you improve your cognitive performance. It can help you improve recovery and all of those things feed back into your diet. And you're kind of like, that's all in flux all the time. And you're, try, and you're trying to understand how all of that works and, and keep yourself on a balance. So it's not even like, if, if you did find kind of your optimal diet at some point, that could change a month later. And, and then and you're constantly kind of like playing with what do I need at any given time to support optimal health? And as long as you're, you're healthy, then 
you, you should perform well. And, I, and I, so for me, I, like, I look at this as what I'm first optimizing for is my health. And then I'm hoping that everything I'm doing for my health supports my performance. And, and if it doesn't, I'm willing to give up a little bit in the performance realm in order to make sure that I live healthy, I'm happy, I feel good, and I'm still running competitively in my 50s. And it seems like it's, it's also about tuning, really tuning into how you feel. And I think it's the same in training. Where if you if you really dialed in on training, you know what your body needs at a given time, whether you do an extra rep or not do an extra rep or you go this pace or that pace, you can listen to your body, you can make adjustments accordingly. And I think with diet, it feels like it's the same way where it's really tuning into how you feel and knowing what levers you can pull to make you feel better or worse. Just like you might slow down in a workout, you might adjust macronutrient balance in your diet to change how you feel at a given time. So going back to you, Noah, what are the variables? You mentioned macronutrient balance, so maybe we start there. But what are the variables that people should be playing with to try to feel better? Okay, so I, I like to break this down. I do, uh, I do a talk for a bunch of high school kids at a, at a camp every year. And so I always like to break down, like when we're just talking at the basic level, is, is to try to simplify everything, is you essentially have like micronutrient foods and macronutrient foods. And so micronutrient foods are like your fruits and vegetables, right? They're all the, a lot of the, the, the foods that cre uh, contain your vitamins and minerals. So a large majority of your diet should come from like your micronutrient foods, like, you know, veggies, you know, low glycemic fruits, like the, that, that are really the, really the nutrient dense foods. And that's where you're going to get a lot of your nutritional value. And then we have our macronutrient foods. And that's where like every single diet has been conceived is you know the ratio of like fats to carbohydrates to proteins and the reason that that this becomes such a hot topic is is everybody has their their stance on it but when you look at it from a physiologic standpoint you basically you're, you're gonna have you're gonna have two different types of metabolisms you're gonna have a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer and this has nothing as I, I shouldn't use that with metabolism before but it's essentially how quickly or how hot your engine is and how quickly you break down food and so that's where the macronutrients actually have an effect on the body so if let's say you're a fast oxidizer that's like you have a really big fire in your body and so you actually are going to need more dense sources of nutrients so that's where like somebody who's going to do like more of a paleo or keto style diet they're going to do better on that because they're, it's just gonna, their, their body's not gonna burn through it so quickly. So it'll stabilize their, their blood glucose levels a little bit. It'll stabilize everything. But if you put a slow oxidizer, or a slow oxidizer on a ketogenic diet or something like that, you may really make them sick. And those are the people that have a tendency to wanna move away from like proteins and more around your, you know, they feel better on a vegan diet or, or something along those lines. And so, those considerations become really important. And so I'm, and again, kind of like Jason said, I'm actually not touting like a keto diet or like vegan. I think there's components of both of them that as we learn to um, kind of like identify and manipulate, we can, we can maximize um, the benefits of both. And there, there's some easy, you know, there, there, there's some at home testing that you can do with like pH paper in the morning that'll give you an idea of like, do I need a little bit more protein and fat in my diet or do I need to consume a little bit more like plants and micronutrient foods? And then the other thing is, is as you start to experiment with the, the ratios of, of that, 
it's like somebody might have a higher like carbohydrate tolerance so they might be able to eat 60% of their diet from carbohydrates and not have these insulin swings because they have a uh, they're better at handling their 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 carbohydrates whereas somebody else may need to eat like a lot more protein less carbs and, and they feel feel better that way and so a lot of it is is, is just a, a lot of getting intentional about like trying to figure out how you feel after a meal and one of the best ways it's like because it's it's hard to it's hard to, to, you know, you can't go and, you know, pr even if you're pricking your finger and doing glucose monitoring and, and all of that, like throughout the day, it's going to be really hard to, to, you know, figure out what's actually going on. The way that I kind of like that I lay out for people is, is, you know, start with like kind of this base. And, and typically what I'll say for most people is it's about 40% carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat and try to, so that would be basically like a third of your plate is going to be like, you know, protein, a third of your plate is going to be veggies. And maybe like, you know, you have like a, a third that's going to be some type of a, a unrefined carbohydrate, like a sweet potato or a potato or brown rice or something along those lines that your body can tolerate. And then you can kind of adjust those ratios. Do I need a little bit more protein? Do I need to eat a ribeye instead of chicken? So there's more fat in it. Do I need to you know, like add some butter and sauces to my veggies because I need more fat in my diet or do I need to eat like fish or chicken or turkey because like I eat that red meat and it just feels like a gut bomb in my stomach and I, I can't digest it very well. Um, and then obviously if you're not digesting very well, there's a ton of other things that that needs to happen in that area, too. But you kind of get this feel about like what should should kind of work for you. What works for you? Let's give examples for a second. So okay. Like for you as an individual, what is your diet? So, so I, I think like? my wife and I are an awesome example of the, the uh, of the two different ones. Yep. So Natalie is is uh, we've done a lot of testing with her. She's a fast oxidizer, and so an interesting thing that we've ac I've kind of correlated and. and I know I, I don't want to make like a broad assumption, but it's something that I've kind of seen correlated um, a little bit. But type O blood types typically have a tendency to be fast oxidizers. And I don't know why that is, but it just seems to be one of those things that I've seen over time. So Natalie, she she's actually Italian, um, too. So so she grew up on like pastas and like cakes and cookies. And her mom is like the best cook in the whole world. But she she is like the baker of all bakers. So Natalie grew up eating a lot of like pastas, cookies, cakes, like those kind of things. And she really started to struggle with blood sugar issues um, throughout her career, even to a point to where, you know, she had some health issues related to a couple infections and then kind of chronic like blood sugar issues over, uh, uh, over a number of years. And so once we started to identify that she was more of a fast oxidizer, she kind of switched to more of like a like a, a, a paleo, a little bit higher fat, higher protein, lower carbohydrate diet. And I'm more of a slow, uh, like a slow oxidizer. So for me, what my I, I, that's why I lay out that like, you know, the third, the plate thirds, because it works really good for me. I do about a third of my plate. It's like a big protein, like a third, you know, to a, a little bit more of like veggies and then like a small, like maybe like a, a, a third or less of like some type of a carbohydrate. And I've got to have all the macronutrients in my like in each meal or I just feel like crap. Like I've tried to do the whole keto thing and, and it just it doesn't really work that well for me. I've worked through, you know, six or eight weeks of it and it's and it's it's fine. And, you know, I, I can see some of the benefits that people are talking about. But really, for me, from a performance standpoint, 
being able to, you know, see patients for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, run 30 to 50 miles a week, keep up with Jason on the trail when he drags me all over the place. And, uh, He's you a know, monster. I've got, no. <laughs> and, uh, I, I've got, uh, I, I've got to have that balance of, of all of that. So, so that's kind of the way that, that I look at it is, is Natalie, like we really had to shift like her whole eating style because she would burn through those carbohydrates so quickly. She'll get like blood sugar dropout. She starts to feel sick, nauseous. And for the longest time, she couldn't figure out why all of that was happening. And it was simply because she was going like into this really hypoglycemic state and having a number of, and it ended up, you know, actually creating some, some issues in her liver um, that as an elite athlete, you know, somebody who was, uh, you know, a finalist at the, you know, the U.S. championships, you know, they, they shouldn't have a fatty liver, you know. And so there, there was some consequences of her constantly doing that over, you know, a long period of time. And she ended up having a hematoma rupture on her liver. Um, but like because of all of the obstruction and stuff that was happening in there, there was a couple infections that kind of propagated that whole thing. But, you know, there was a lot of it was because of, of diet induced, um, issues. And so changing that around for her, she's been able to kind of get her health back, stabilize her blood sugar, feel better, train more consistently and, and those kind of things. So I think that that's a good example of, of, so it's funny cause she, when we eat, I'll make like a little bit of like a sweet potato or a carb. And unless she's got like a really like intense workout or something like that, she'll actually opt out of the, the, the carb to do more of like, you know, like fat and veggies or like fat protein and veggies. So that's interesting. The fact that she's Italian <laughs> didn't really help her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up. May have even exacerbated her issues, right? Yeah. Getting so, hit with those carbs all the time yeah and so it, it just took a little bit of like dialing it in and you can improve your your basically your carbohydrate tolerance through but a lot of people it's so dysregulated that it, it takes a little bit of time to improve that and so now she's a little more stable where she doesn't you know she doesn't have to like she can eat a little more carbs and fuel a little bit more with that but it uh it, it's one of those things that she's always she knows she's always going to have to watch for like longevity and health so I have, so I have a couple of things I'd like to follow up yep. uh, on these topics here. I don't know if we're about to transition or not, but Go so, ahead. you know, we, you were talking about eating, like being aware of how you feel based on the foods you're eating. And we talked previously in the total stress load podcast about the fact that uh, we can normalize unhealthy levels of stress in our life. Our bodies, the same thing with food are really good at adapting to unhealthy eating patterns and it's so it's easy to not really notice especially over time if you like you grew up eating a certain way like my household we grew up on ramen noodles and spam and little debbie snack cakes <laughs> and shit like that and it took a long time before <laughs> i realized that like yeah. yeah that like mcdonald's twice a week isn't really good for your body but i didn't <laughs> know because my you know anyway our body can really mask a lot of like those symptoms and we don't realize it until it becomes a big deal and so have starting with, you know, aside from doing like food allergy tests and food inflammation tests, which can be important to figure out things that are a problem for you that you might might not really be able to put together is start with an elimination diet, something like the whole 30 diet where you effectively eliminate from your diet all things that humans are known to have an allergy to and eat that way for at least 30 days. So you kind of like clear the table and then you can start to add different things back into your diet and see how that makes you feel. And an important thing about diet, if you're thinking, okay, maybe some of this resonates with me, I'm gonna try a different dietary paradigm. It can be rough, really rough. And um, I would never advocate like 
diving into the deep end on a ketogenic diet out of nowhere because that shit's going to wreak havoc on your body and you're not going to feel good for a while. And if you're in the middle of like your Boston Marathon training cycle or something like that, I also wouldn't advocate a major dietary change because it's going to be your body has going to go through an adaptation process where it's really figuring out either you're restructuring your macro or micro or both nutrient composition within your diet. And so your body's got to adjust to that and it's got to figure out, okay, I'm, I'm no longer primarily fueling off of carbohydrates and glycogen and I'm not riding this roller coaster all day. And, and so you, we don't just like start consuming fat overnight as our primary energy source. If you wanted to say, get into a paleo diet or something like that. And so <clears throat> just know that it's going to take time to make that change. It's not going to feel good for a while, but eventually you'll start to notice for me, um, noticing sleeping better, improved mood, uh, improved cognitive performance, brain fog went away from me on a regular basis as I made a transition to a paleo diet. And so, um, I did, I felt like shit for about three months and I wasn't sure that I was making the right decision in my life. And for a while I thought like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a crazy idea, but I stuck with it. I feel much better now. And those would be my big, but both like my tip to try to make this change, but also the warning of like, if you are thinking about changing your diet, there are some pitfalls out there. Don't change anything when you're in a competitive training cycle. Like that's For like sure. the thing. It's like, it's almost like you want to like experiment with like how you feel during your diet. Like if you're going to make some changes, like kind of maybe use it as a like lead in to, uh, um, to, to a lead, a lead into like a training cycle. So if you're starting a new program, you may want to like experiment with a few of these changes, like a couple weeks leading up. So you can kind of just feel when there's not like the stress of training, like on your body. Um, and so, it, it, and that's really kind of the big thing is, is making sure that you're not creating extra undue stress and then just making sure. And I think one of the things that a lot of people do too, is we, we haven't talked much about like calorie load, but when people start to exclude major, like macronutrient groups the macronutrient groups are what give you your calories for fuel they typically go into a calorie deficit and i remember one one athlete that that i worked with and we'd be out on the track and she'd be running and it was funny i could tell when she would like when it was like she hadn't eaten enough like in the day versus like when she was just struggling with like the workout was really hard and it was like she was kind of hitting the wall from like training versus where she just wasn't uh she she wasn't fueled Bonk, so and, so, and, and so there there's a completely different thing and so i think people also need to to make sure that like when you're making these these changes that you're making sure to 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 that you're getting the totally total calorie load because if you go into a calorie deficit your body's going to start basically catabolizing your own muscle tissue as well too for energy so it's going to start breaking down your own body to recover and so that's where i'm, I'm not huge on on excluding any one like macronutrient source you know there's like i said there's some adjustments that can be made um but you know in jason's case you know like that you, you can talk about like uh, a little bit of like a keto or more paleo one of the things that can do is it can facilitate fat adaptation and for jason he's got to be more in touch with his his fat stores to be able because you just you can't eat enough or fuel enough to you know to 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 fuel yourself for a hundred miler you've got to be able to access some stores of body fat and things like that and so that's where like looking at specificity versus matt versus jason becomes in and matt's got to make sure that his like glycogen and his like carbohydrate stores are 
you know, at that tip top level. So you can start to access that when you start to go, you know, lactic and you've got to make sure that you're fueling those muscles with that because that's your primary energy source. So it, w it wouldn't behoove Matt to maybe go into a more ketogenic diet to try to race a mile. Right. But whereas Jason to have that extra fuel. So you've got to understand the demands of your event too. So big things are don't change when you're actually training, try to like work it in a little bit and, and see how you adapt through your base period and early on and then making sure that you understand the demands of, of your actual race too. So Matt and I are probably the projects here because it sounds like you guys have it dialed in. <laughs> I, I, you know, for me, it's an ongoing struggle. Like I know, I know when I'm better about it, I know when I'm not, I kind of know some things, but it, honestly listening to this is a little bit overwhelming. I don't know how you feel, Matt. If you're going through this journey, listening to these guys talk, what's your reaction as you think about your own steps to try to figure this out? Yeah, no, definitely. I think I was going to ask a couple questions, but I don't, I don't want to ask, ask away. Well, no, I, I, earlier, but yeah. um, like hopefully like questions that other people listening in would have as well. But um, I think luckily I held out cause I think you answered some of them, but I think the first thing we're right off the bat is just kind of knowing what diet you'd fall under or knowing just even like your metabolism, you know, like, um, is it fast? Is it slow? Um, so, I mean, I think before we start kind of like researching and doing what we think that we would like knowing exactly what is like good for you before we go on this, um, on this journey or on this new path. And, um, like Jason said earlier, just like it took him three months till him, till he figured out that, or until he started feeling really good. And I think like, you know, some people won't be that patient. So if you think, or you don't get tested and, and you, you feel crappy or whatever the first few weeks or even a month or two, and I would imagine that 90% of people would, would change their diet or, or would go on to something else or thinking that it's not right for them. So I think just kind of first question is just like, you know, what kind of tests, like how, how can we like figure out which all of these different categories we fall under? Because there was definitely a lot of things that we covered in, in the yeah. last 10 minutes or so. Yeah. So let's start there. What's the baseline things you would want to know or want somebody to find out? Like the, the 30, the 40, 30, 30 is good. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a good baseline. But if you're trying to get a little bit more in depth and, and, um, and know, I guess, like, you know, versus you and your wife, you know, like what, um, I guess, how, how would you figure out which one, like, would you be? Yeah. So, so I use, so at, at for an at home test, I think the easiest thing that people can do and this is, it's funny, I'm going to step on, on, on feet on both sides of this, so I love it. Um, so one of the things that, that we used with, um, that I use with athletes and that we, we used with um, Natalie to kind of dial in some things uh, is we used a, a first morning urine pH. And so basically what you do, you go to your local pharmacy or you go on Amazon and there's the, the pH paper. It's called Hydreon paper. And everybody probably remembers it from chemistry where you dip it in the solutions and it'll change different colors. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a window. The first morning pH is essentially going to give you a window into basically is your body too acidic or is it too alkaline? And so the, the gold standard for measuring pH is the blood, right? And the blood in our body is very tightly regulated. And what it will do is it's going to filter out different things from the blood through the kidney, through the urine. 
And the only way to test the blood pH, you really can't do like a finger stick and do it like on your uh, on your own. There's a, it's a test called a blood gas test, and it's one of the most painful tests you can actually have. And they typically only do it if you have like carbon monoxide poisoning or some like crazy thing in a hospital. So, obviously, looking at like blood pH is is pretty much like out. So one of the things you can do is is at six to eight hours of rest. You can every morning and we just have it sitting on. This is kind of how weird we are in our house. <laughs> we have it sitting on our toilet and uh, you just like take a take a strip off and you look at it. And if you're under six point five, you have to pee on it. Or you, you pee dip on it. it. Yeah, you, you can do oh, either. Hey, what's or. The you can you, <laughs> you, what's yeah, the you, you, you can either you can either like take take a take a cup and, and dip <laughs> it or you can just pee on it. Like, you know, okay. like either or your preference, okay. you know. And, and you're looking, and there's a window between 6.5 and 7.5. Um, and that's kind of what we would consider consider healthy. Now, uh, if you're under 6.5 on your first morning urine, that's going to basically tell your body it's in a net metabolic acid excess, which means that you have, you're over the, a course of, like, the day, you're producing way too much acid in the body. And so what you want to do with that is when you when you're too acidic that's where the whole like the people who talk about like the alkaline diet right like they're you're you're yeah adding more like fruits veggies greens those kind of things because what that what it shows is what they've been able to correlate with a first morning urine under 6.5 is typically you're going to be deficient in calcium magnesium and potassium and so they've done a lot of research on those areas to show that like if you're if you're under that after six to eight hours of rest because your kidneys start to accumulate all the metabolic byproducts of trying to keep your blood regular right and so that's just showing okay maybe i do need a little bit more veggies maybe i need to add some magnesium to my diet you know there, there are certain things you can do to that and typically that just means most people aren't eating enough like veggies and they're training really hard they're stressed they're maybe over consuming sugar and carbohydrates which is, is, is one of those things that, that's going on in that area. So, um, and then if you go over 7.5, and this is, this is funny because in the health world, everybody's always talking about like, you know, like alkalinity and, and being alkaline and the alkaline waters and all of this. And if you go over 7.5, you're actually in a alkaline excess, which basically means your body is actually breaking down its own tissue and it's going through nitrogen wasting. So you're actually not recovering. And those are the people that actually need to increase and add protein to their diet. And so what happens is you start to be able to create this, this kind of swing, right? And I see a lot, of, a, a lot of people who have read a lot of things on the internet and they'll come in and we'll ask them to do this test and they'll say, oh yeah, my, my pH is great. Cause I don't tell them any specifics. I say, just dip the strip and tell me the color when you come in, you know? And I don't want them to know anything. I don't want them to like have any preconceived notions on anything. And most people think, okay, alkaline is better. And I'll see this in, I actually see this in a ton of distance runners. This is why I bring it up is they'll come in and they'll be like, oh, my pH was 7.8. I'm super alkaline. I'm really good. And I'm like, oh, actually that means that you're not getting enough protein and you're going through some nitrogen wasting in your body. So we want to, we, we need you to add in more protein, like those kind of things into your diet. And then oftentimes you'll get them to a certain point to where they, they've kind of got the protein in and they'll real quickly swing a little bit lower. And then we just need to add in a little bit more of like greens, veggies, fruits, those kind of things. So it's kind of an easy way that your body, you can kind of dial in some of these. There's some other uh, other tests that you can do. You can do actually a hair analysis that does a ratio of how your body burns minerals. 
and that's uh, that's another way that you can do it. Not everybody has access to it. I like the urinary pH because it really tells us like if we're breaking down protein or if we need to maybe like dial back on like sugar, carbs, and add more greens and those kind of things as well too. What about basic blood testing? I mean, would you tell somebody to go get a CBC, a CMP? I mean, those sorts of basic blood values so so the the basis so so another so yeah basic blood values and basic blood chemistry can tell you a lot some of the what one of the areas that it, it it's hard to deduce like obviously like you have the typical like lifestyle diet things that you can see in in, in blood work it's a little harder to kind of dial in um, new like nutrition from just generalized like blood work. Yep. Um, other there there's some markers. Obviously, like glucose is 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 one of them. If your glucose is too high, you know th- that's typically more. You're not going to see that as much in the uh, in the maybe the athlete perspective because they're burning it up and, and doing those things. One of the things I do see quite regularly on athletes that are eating too many carbohydrates in their in their diet when they do. Uh, when they do their blood work, their triglycerides will actually be high. So, like, they, they might actually have a low uh, glucose and a high triglycerides. And your body will actually turn glucose into triglycerides because I always I always use this image of, like, the glucose molecule in the body is a lot like, you know, like the, the end of a mace, that little spiky ball. And it goes through and it can damage the blood vessels. And so our body wants to tightly regulate that because excess sugar in the blood vessels can actually be damaging to the blood vessels and so again the body wants to keep the blood really tightly regulated and so so it, it's going to actually turn that glucose into like a fat or a triglyceride and, and that's how you can get an idea because i have a lot of people that they're like i don't need that much sugar i don't need that much carbohydrate and i'm like you're lying to me <laughs> <laughs> the blood doesn't it's, lie it's, it's, it's the lie detector test and so uh and so a lot of times with runners, what you'll see is you'll see a low um, fasting glucose and a high triglyceride. And typically what that's going to be is that's going to be that was one of the things we saw in Natalie, too. Um, she she was reactive hypoglycemic. So her hypogly or her blood sugar was super, super low. But I, I joked that I, I, I joked with her that I was like, man, she's either like like got some major like blood sugar or infection things going on or she sleeps with like a bottle of vodka under her bed and it's not telling anybody because because <laughs> another thing that raises triglycerides is alcohol consumption and so i, I not joke natalie's with her. problem yeah not not her problem I, I, I and so so that was one of the things where we could dial in with her really quickly that she had this like level that uh you know that that shouldn't be present in an elite athlete and that was her body essentially she was just overeating carbohydrates um and creating this massive um, inflammatory, like, because she asked the doctor, how do I, do I get a hematoma on my liver and how do I get a fatty liver as, like, an elite athlete? And he just told her, he said, it's like getting struck by lightning. Hmm. And so we, we also talked about, I think it was on the last episode, hemoglobin A1C as a yeah. marker of insulin sensitivity or resistance. Yeah, yeah. That's something you can see in the blood, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good one, too, is, is A1C, hemoglobin A1C. Um, is another one of those markers that it's essentially your three months. It looks about the average of three months of how high and low your blood sugar goes. So if it's elevated, and I've seen it again in, in you know a lot of like uh, marathoners and things like that that are really carbo-heavy in their diet is, is their glucose is low, triglycerides may be normal, but their A1C is actually really high too. So that's where we need to dial in in some of those things. So. So we want to get a baseline pH, basic blood values. 
I assume you also want to track what you're eating, how you feel. So what would you recommend from that standpoint? Because it, if it is a three-month journey, Jason, to figuring out how to feel better, how are you tracking that on a daily basis to kind of figure out what worked for you and what didn't? So I, I'll tell you what I would do now uh, versus what I actually did. Okay. Okay. Hindsight's so 2020. Yeah. Uh, I basically just destroyed myself and uh, can't you know, like the world came crashing down on me around late October uh, of last year. And I failed out of the Houston marathon training cycle that I was in. And I just felt like shit. I couldn't recover from anything. Injuries were mounting. And um, I basically wanted to just like hibernate for the rest of winter. And so for me, that was like an, I just have to do something different and kind of figure this out now. So I, I just changed into a Maffetone training approach and started fundamentally rethinking my dietary paradigm. So so I did that. What I would do now is I would try to get a pulse on my fasting blood glucose and fasting insulin levels. And I would pro- I would have taken a blood chemistry measurement um, so that I had like a baseline of that. And I would have also, like knowing what I know now about some of the genetic problems that I have, I also would have been um, looking at my homocysteine levels. Your what? Homocysteine. What does that mean? Um <laughs> So now you're over my head. I well, um, <laughs> I'll let Noah explain it because he'll do a better job and I will I will butcher it. It's not something that I like totally keep in my mind. But homocysteine. Well, so I have this. I'm a homozygous mutation for the MTHFR like six, seven, seven T or C gene. So. It means mean? a lot of different things. So, okay, so what does it sorry, mean at I'm the very highest? What does it mean at the very highest level? Uh, it means that I have. So everybody has two copies of every gene. You get one from each of your parents. You can be in either a homozygous or a heterozygous state with any of those genes. So I could be homozygous, and we've talked about this before, but homozygous with like normal gene function. That means like whatever service that gene plays in the body, it's at 100% capacity. I could be heterozygous, meaning one copy of the gene is mutated, so it's dysfunctional in some way, which means whatever thing those genes do in my body operate at about 70%. And then if I'm homozygous for the gene mutation, meaning that both copies of the gene are mutated, they have some kind of dysfunction, operate at about 30% of the capacity of whatever that gene might service my body. So the MTHFR gene mutation is relatively serious. For me, it means that I have a high risk exposure to breast cancer, um, depression, manic depression, anxiety disorder, neurodegenerative disease, especially Alzheimer's. Mm. And re- at a physiological level, what it predominantly is, is that my body does not absorb and absorb B vitamins very well, specifically uh, folate, which is B9, and then the B6 and B12 vitamin complexes. And so there's a lot of, like, that's a breakdown in the methylation process. So my body doesn't recover as well. Um, and so I was suffering from a lot of these problems and I also have a history of this stuff in my family. And so I, I was like, you know, kind of freaking out as I figured a lot of this stuff out and just trying to like fundamentally but you, change but my were diet. Were you but tracking your diet on a daily basis <laughs> or not? Pr- prior to figuring all of this well, out during those three months periods? No. So should someone 
I mean, if if you were gonna, so it just depends on. It depends I mean, on what's going on, right? So, like, my situation was very different. And I was having a lot of problems with my physical and mental health, and so, yeah, but so it like, I would like, like to know. I mean, for for me, I'm a highly analytical person, so I would want a baseline on all of these things that I know about now, so that I could figure out is what I'm doing making a difference from a health outcome perspective. And right, that's what I mean. Yeah. So I mean, uh, anytime I've well. Not say, I shouldn't say anytime, but sometimes when I've worried about my diet or tracked it, I've used an app, my fitness pal, as a way to track what I'm eating, primarily to make sure I was getting enough calories at high training loads, but then also so I could look back and say, okay, well, here's what I did. Here's how I felt on those days. Like you would a training log. Do you keep a training log, yeah. Matt? Yeah. What is it? What, in Mandatory. what form? Is it a written form? Yeah. Journal form? Yeah. Do you have diet in there at all? No, we'd have weather, could have obviously workouts, the time that you did it, yep. but diet, I mean, sometimes I'll even include the sleep, like sleep. If I feel terrible, I'll note like got five hours last night or didn't sleep at all yep. or whatever. Um, but it's rare that I'll put diet in there. So what would you recommend on that, Noah? So I, I think from a standpoint of, of, of diet, I think one of the things I've seen both sides of the equation, right? Like I've seen people who like that they need to make some dietary modifications and they don't really tr like track it, do those kind of things. And, and so I think whenever you're kind of experimenting with like if you're going to start like adjusting things a little bit in your diet, making a few changes with like say like your macronutrient intake and it's important and what what i always like to know like and, and this is just kind of a, an easy thing for me is like if i go out and eat something i always want to pay attention to how i feel about like two or three hours afterwards so like if i make a change or or, or something in that avenue like i'm like okay like i'm gonna eat this meal let me s and see how it affects me and so that's kind of actually how i've gauged a lot of like how i eat is like you know obviously seeing patients for eight to ten hours a day it, uh, you know, it, it, like I've got to be really dialed in on like, you know, if something's, if I'm going to eat something and it's going to make me like sleepy and tired, typically that's going to mean that it, it just was a little bit either like, you know, too much carbohydrates and my blood sugar's kind of crashing later or like something just didn't gel right with it. So I think when you're introducing new things, I think it's important to kind of track and monitor. But once you kind of have it kind of dialed in and, and you've kind of figured out your routine, I think that becomes less important. I've seen a lot of athletes, too, on the flip side of that, like stress out so much over like yeah. diet. And it's like obviously like Matt, like I mean, you can attest to this. You're like in the Olympic Village and, you know, sometimes the food isn't agreeing with everybody. You're you know, you're in I've, I've, athletes travel to like China, Korea, like all these places. And there's, you know. Uh, there's just food that your body's not used to. And I know that they, you know, they try to accommodate and, and try to, to work with the chefs and all that. But oftentimes there's just going to be stuff that just doesn't agree with you. So, you know, this whole idea of this, like having this, like, you know, this is how I eat and I have to eat this way. I'm always taken back to, I think it was David Oliver, who was it like in, uh, in Beijing where he was having trouble with food at the, uh, at the Olympic village. And he was like getting like gastrointestinal stress, the hurdler. And he said, he's like, man, he's like, I, uh, he's like, I just went to McDonald's and he's like, I knew chicken nuggets were chicken nuggets <laughs> were chicken nuggets. <laughs> chicken and he nuggets. just like, you know, he ate like chicken nuggets and the not, bolt not diet. you know, we're, I was going to say yeah. bull had that <laughs> yeah. as Beijing. Like. And, uh, <laughs> and I know like, you know, that a lot of athletes like were having, you know, trouble with like some of the food and those. So you have to like, you also have to have things that you, you, you know, that you can kind of fall back on in the case of like, 
you know, if you're in a, a place that maybe doesn't cater to like your, your eating style and you want to make sure that you're getting your body balanced, but I think people can take it too far the other way. And that's where you get like so meticulous. Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to have 150 grams of protein is what they told me. I only had 140 today, you know, like I need to do. And it almost becomes, as we're talking about, like this whole podcast is about total stress load and it diet can become a huge stress. And I've seen it stress athletes out really, really bad too. Oh, big time. And I mean, I see, I see it a lot in, in females more than males and, and not saying that guys don't stress about it as much, but, um, you know, I think the best thing that I've been able to do since I can remember, at least since college is that if I eat a couple bowls of ice cream or a couple pints of ice cream at night that I will fall asleep and not even think about it the next morning. Whereas I've seen athletes, um, teammates that will have maybe a scoop of my pint or whatever. And they are like, Oh no, I can't have ice cream or I can't have dessert or tomorrow. I'm just going to have to really buckle down. And I'm like, like what from one <laughs> scoop, like I'm eating three pints over here and I could care less, you know? And so, I mean, the, the, the flip side, I think the best thing that I've been able to do is I don't stress over anything and, and that's not just diet, but with sleep, you know, and, um, workouts, if a bad workout, or I didn't get any sleep. Um, I note it, I try to, to do better the next day, but I don't carry it over the next day with me or I don't think exactly. And you have to have that. And I think that's in any aspect, um, in life and, and not just diet, but like, um, you know, the, the stem from a stress reaction or stress fracture, it's stress. And it's not just stress on, on the body from uh, impact and, and um, from overuse, but also in all areas of your life that you're putting on, you know what I mean? Whether it's a relationship, diet, um, whatever, just try to minimize as much stress as you can possibly do. And, and I think I do the, that's why I've gotten to this point. I think um, eating as bad as I have and maybe in, in the lack of sleep I've, I've gotten um, is because I don't stress myself out so much, but all things do catch up, I guess. Maybe our diet tagline could be "Don't let diet be a stress," right? So, yeah, either <laughs> so one way or the other, right? One like way or the other, right? Yeah. Don't eat a bunch of shit and stress yourself out, but also don't stress out when you eat some shit because you're gonna be just fine. Well, I can say from my one real foray into tracking it every day, I did probably four months tracking everything I ate with my Fitness Pal app, trying to be better overall about my diet. I learned. And by the way, at the end of that four months, I ended up with a stress fracture <laughs> because I became too stressed. I either became too, I think part of it was I became too restricted, but I also became too routine. I wasn't getting a variety. That's where I ended up with a vitamin D deficiency and a bunch of other things snowball. But, but for me, I did learn that that's not something I can do like, because it does stress me out. It does cause me to, it, it causes variations in my patterns of of food that probably aren't healthy and and I think may have resulted in me getting too lean at a time when I need to have a little bit more on me so let's talk about that with you Matt do you ever worry about weight do you ever weigh yourself is race weight something you think about yeah absolutely I mean it's hard not to um and and but what is race weight you know what I mean I I think race weight could be a couple pounds less than whatever you are. You know what I mean? I mean, we can keep going down this, you know, let's, for me, let's say my race weight is 130, which I'd, I'd put it at about 130, 132, but why not 128? You know what I mean? I can get down to 130, why not another two pounds? So I think right. race weight is, is vague. You know, it's hard. It's so broad. It's like what, like, um, I think, I think kind of like with diet, you have to kind of experiment a little bit and and see like what works for you like what what is a healthy weight because there is too light and obviously there's too heavy um 
And I think when you get a little too light, one, you can't sustain it, but two, you start breaking down a little bit and you, you kind of, depending on your, on your event especially. But um, for me, I think my race weight has is, is always been like the low 130s and I have a training weight and I have an out-of-season weight. So I have like, I fluctuate a lot compared to like, I think most people, but I, I know what works for me at this point. Um, and I think, and that's where diet kind of plays in for me is like, you know, when I'm out of season, I kind of, I'm a little more flexible with it. Like I obviously enjoy desserts every night and then I start getting into to training weight and those desserts kind of start to minimize instead of every day, every night, maybe it's three times a week. And then once I've start to really get into from our U S championships to let's say the Olympics or world championships, which is probably about a six to eight week window, um, the desserts, those two to three desserts a week turn into a bowl of yogurt with berries. And so, um, but I don't do that year round and I don't, um, you know, I'm not that strict with myself all the time and I'm not that light all the time because I found myself to be more injury prone when I am very, very skinny like that. And, um, I think though, but even just kind of go back a little bit earlier, I think like coming away from this talk for me at least, um, and for anyone that's kind of also confused and not sure of like what might be best for them. And they just know that they do need to tighten up on it instead of making this overwhelming or stressing themselves about it is if you can just tighten up one little thing, you know, we, we covered so many different things, but if you can just improve on one little area or one little thing for now, um, you have to understand whatever you're running before, if your marathon PR was three hours and you know, you found that, um, I'm going to tighten up this little area and now I should be 255 or 250 and then you kind of just start chipping away a little bit don't go from zero to 100 and I think that's what I'm going to at least walk away from this and just knowing that look I am struggling with my diet I do need to tighten up a lot of areas but I'm just going to start with um, minimizing some of my sugar in intake you know what I mean instead of trying to to do all these things at once and because I think that will stress you out. Do you mind if I ask the difference between your out-of-competition weight and your race weight? Yeah, it's probably about 10, 12 pounds. Oh. Um, I'd probably say right now I'm about 140 right now. Um, oh. And my I'd say my training weight should be about 135 to like 138. And I, once I start racing, I've noticed my weight to come down a little bit. We go to altitude, I notice my weight to come down from that. And then obviously... It it, it it ends up being a slippery slope because when you do start to lose weight, you're not as hungry as much either. Like I, I find myself filling up on one plate of um, dinner, whereas, you know, when I'm 10 pounds heavier, you know, I go back for seconds or I find myself a lot hungrier later afterwards. So um, I do find like it, you get to this point where, you know, for me, it's like once I can get under 135, it's kind of I can coast to 130 pretty easy. But getting under 135, I struggle with. It's kind of like that that barrier for me um but but yeah it's it's about three to four pounds um difference for each each phase for yep. my race weight my training weight and then my out of season weight so Noah, how should we think about that quantity i i actually i agree with matt completely um i i think that there there's there's a time like when you're like racing and training like and then when you're trying to peak is like your weight as well should be should be calibrated uh, Trent Snellingworth, who he was, he's a PhD nutritionist. Uh, he was Ashton Eaton, and, uh, Brianna Eaton's um, nutritionist. His wife Hillary is an Olympian. They actually did a like body metrics tracking. I believe it was of his wife over her like of, like an eight year like Olympic like the two cycles and showed like how her like 
body mass like change throughout all of the cycles and then they noted like different like potential injuries and different things that went along with that in that time she also had a baby too and so there was they were just showing that you like you, you've got to be a little bit flexible with it and I think that's that's an important thing is is you know there's a time like to, to kind of reload and, and, and all of that and, you know, kind of let some things go that, you know, you might not need to. But then there's that time through your training. You kind of know where you feel good at and then, you know, kind of where you optimize like race weight. And I think a lot of people, one of the things to be careful with that is, is oh, I, I do see a lot of people that try to take that race weight a little bit too far. And I think naturally, if you're just like if you're just kind of doing like what Matt did is, is you know, like you're you're kind of generally got a good idea of like what your 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 diet needs to be and and you're kind of following some principles that seem to work like good for you um your your body's healthy if you're getting regular blood work and like you know analyzing a few things you know to make some course corrections and stuff like that then that then then, and everything's looking good then that's good and then obviously like i i would say like really tightening it down for like a six to eight week window is really the only time where I would say like being like super intensely strict and like trying to like, you know, to dial it in and then, you know, kind of getting ready for that big competition. But then again, too, one of the things that that's also like important is kind of leading up to that big competition. If you're in a little bit of a calorie deficit, that's not going to serve you as well, too. So making sure that like and this is one thing that a lot of people don't consider because they they get down to their whole race weight right before, you know, that race. But if you you might want to pop up like, you know, so you know where you're you typically are, but leading up to that week before you might want to increase the, you know, for somebody like a mat or, you know, a marathoner, it might be okay to gain a pound or so like a week before because you're a lot of times that's just glycogen that you're you're storing if you're trying to increase and not like obviously not advocating like like just dumping it, like eating everything and all that leading up to the race. But you kind of get that race weight dialed in. And then you want to make sure the week of your race that you're fully fed. I can, I remember actually, I started learning all of this stuff when I was a freshman in, in college and I made the national championships. And I was like, I, 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 the reason I say don't make a change, you know, leading up to like this whole thing is I started learning about all these different like fat adaptation diets and all that stuff. And legitimately between our conference meet and the national championships, I made all these changes and I ended up, uh, I, I, I ended up, we were in Odessa, Texas for junior college for, uh, um, our national meet. And it was like 97 degrees and like, you know, super hot ran the 15 at like three o'clock in the afternoon in that Texas heat. And I ended up like passing out from heat exhaustion because I just wasn't fueled correctly. And so I'd made this mistake myself about being like, Oh man, this is how I'm going to optimize my performance is I'm going to do this diet here leading up to it and ended up, you know, with ice bags all over me from like, you know, heat exhaustion and not having enough. Like I was drinking tons of water, wash out all my electrolytes. It was, it was a crazy deal. So I think it's important to kind of dial in some of these things, but then like, you know, make sure that you're, you're fully fueled when it comes time to race. And, And I think that's, that's a big thing too, is I think a lot of people restrict too much and then they're not fully trying to get to race weight and then they forget to kind of reload. So they have a full energy store to go out and kick butt. Yeah, I mean, I'll find in a marathon week that the rate, the weight that I weigh maybe the day before the race might be three to found three to four pounds, sometimes even five pounds more than what it had been the week prior, because not just food and glycogen stores, but it's also hydration, making sure that you're well hydrated going into the event. Because you have to store water, like because to store glycogen, you have to store it with water. 
And yeah. so that you're you're going to retain a little bit of like fluid weight. That's why a lot of times like people will lose weight really quickly um, on some of these like more restrictive diets is because they're just dumping they're dumping glycogen and they're dumping a lot of the water that's associated with that. So. So don't panic if that's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you talk about being making sure you're well fed, though. I remember, um, you know, the nerves kick in before a big race and the last thing is on your mind is eating because you're just so nervous. You're just like, you know, your mind is elsewhere. You're not hungry. Like I never have an appetite before. And if I do have an appetite, I do actually worry that I'm not going to race well because <laughs> I'm not taking this uh, race seriously enough. So I woke up. I remember I, I went about my day. Um, during the Olympic final and I went for my shakeout, came back, I had a little something, went down for a nap and I woke up from my nap and I must have been like four or five hours before the race and Alberto like was just checking in with me and, he, and never has he asked me in my career like what have I eaten all day, you know what <laughs> I mean, before any race. The prelims, the semis he didn't ask and I was like kind of one, that was an odd question but I'm trying to like remember exactly what I had and I'm like okay I had a slice of toast there. I had maybe like half a plate of this and, you know, it, it ended up being like hardly anything. And he's trying to do the math in his head and he's like, okay, that's only 600 calories today. That's, <laughs> you, that's not enough. Go eat another like, like plate of pasta. And, th and I was like, I'm not, I just wasn't hungry. <laughs> so I remember like forcing myself, like eating another slice of toast and like maybe another bite of pasta, you know, but it was like funny because one, that was the last thing I thought he would ever tell me to eat more. But two, that wasn't on my mind, and I was struggling to, to get the food down because I was so nervous. But also on the flip side, and not to like make people overthink this, but like you know, the last couple of weeks of your big race, whatever it is, um, you're you're kind of in a taper mode, so you're not running, you know, especially for a marathon, you know, you you start running all these hundred plus miles a week or whatever, and you start bringing them down. And one thing to kind of keep an eye on is that you your calorie intake um you know you're probably eating a ton of stuff you're hungry all the time when you're when you're marathon training or you're in bulk of any kind of training is to keep an eye on that like okay i was eating two plates of food but also now i'm running half the amount of mileage so i do need to keep an eye on what i'm intaking and because i'm tapering that the amount of food and, and things i was eating before might not cut it right now and to kind of keep that race weight around what you what you want to do so because a lot of times you know you just kind of are used to scarfing down a couple plates of, of pasta and then, you know, a couple whatever <laughs> low slices of bread. And now that you're running half the amount of mileage, you know, that those two plates need to turn into one. So just kind of be vigilant about that. But, um, I mean, that's a scale. Yeah, yeah. Scale back a little bit Yeah, as your mileage scales. He mentioned cutting out desserts more or cutting out sugar, I think, is what you said. I have a sweet tooth. I'm guessing my friend Matt oh, yeah. has one too. We're like the same, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's the deal? Uh, if only I had an Olympic medal. What's your, um, what's your so, go-to candy? <laughs> well, you know, it's not candy so much for me. It's it's cake, ice oh, cream, you're cookies. One of those guys. Yeah. Kay. So you have a fat tooth. Yeah, that's well, what it sounds okay, like. Maybe that's it. <laughs> maybe that's more it's, fat maybe tooth. it's a combination <laughs> of both. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we've demonized sugar, maybe rightly so, in our world today maybe i don't know is i mean how should we be thinking about that my i come from a school of thought of everything in moderation you know like i'm gonna have some ice cream here and there i'm trying to be better about it now that i'm turning 40 this year because it just goes right to my belly <laughs> otherwise <laughs> but how how should we be thinking about sugar you know is it something we should cut out altogether i mean and i guess there's sugar and fruit so 
you know, so obviously there's different varieties of it. So, but what's the general messaging on sugar? Okay, so I say this all the time to my patients because we get there. There's like this. It's like a guilt, right? Where you start asking people about their diet and all that. And they're like, they're like, oh man, I have a sweet tooth. I I don't, you know, like I, I I can't stop eating sugar. When you're, you know, they you know they need to make some moderation. And what I've started to tell people, and because when you study the biochemistry behind like the quote unquote sweet tooth. I'm always telling everybody, you don't have a problem with sugar, you have a problem with energy. So people who cre who have like issues and they crave sugar and those kind of things, they're actually not making energy efficiently in their body. And so that could be anything from missing like certain nutrients that help you to get through. So that in, 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 our, in all of our cells, there's a, there's a process called the, the Krebs cycle or the citric acid cycle. It's essentially how our body makes energy. And so a lot of people struggle getting through this whole cycle and making certain new or and making ATP, which is essentially the energy currency in the body. And so basically, if you don't if you don't have the right raw materials like certain vitamins, minerals, those kind of things, you can't effectively process through there and make energy. And so the easiest way for our body to get energy like just quickly is sugar because it can our body can utilize it really, really quickly. And so as you start to create, you know, so when people, you know, say I have this sweet tooth or I crave sugar or those kind of things, and we know that there's something going on inside their body where they're just not efficiently making energy as well as they should. And so we want to, to, to make sure that we look at, you know, through their blood work and through other measures on, on the nutrients that their body isn't getting enough in to make energy. And oftentimes I remember I had this, uh, this girl I was working with one time and you know, she complained about like a sh like sugar cravings and was like a sugar craver. And so I went through and we, you know, we kind of fixed this problem on her and she went back to her where, where she was from. And she said, I just want to let you know, I'm really mad at you. And I was <laughs> like, okay, uh, tell me why. And she's like, because I went back to all my favorite places to eat, like these like bakeries and all that. And she's like, they don't taste good anymore. <laughs> and she's like, I actually don't like them anymore. And she's like, but damn it. And so it's one of those things where her body was basically, it was almost like a, uh, like and like uh, like a, a kind of neural reaction to the sugar where her body just felt so much better because she was able to have energy from the sugar that now she didn't really need that process. So that's the way I look at it is it's like, you know, making sure that like, yeah, you should be getting most of it from like fruits and stuff like that. But, you know, if you're not overdoing it, then it, it should be fine. And if the blood work looks OK and those kind of things. So I'm not big on on demonizing like anything again, because it's it's the total stress load of everything. And it's like it's kind of finding out for me. I always just say finding out what your body can digest, assimilate and eliminate without immune burden. And that's really what you want to figure out is, is things that don't create digestive stress things that um, your body can assimilate the nutrients from that are high nutrient density and then don't react with your body. And then trying to find healthier, healthier alternatives to maybe some of your cravings, you know, more natural alternatives or healthier alternatives to, to that. So instead of eating, you know, like, uh, you know, an ice cream that's, you know, full of just junk and that kind of stuff that maybe you do like an organic version or one from like, you know, we have like lick in Austin that does like grass fed dairy and like, you know, locally sourced ingredients, you know, trying to look for just a better, like a swap, right? Like where you, where you look for a better version of what you, you know, you like already. Yeah. My takeaway from that on my sweet tooth and I've talked to a health coach about this before and she said, you know what, your, your body's not craving calories it's creating, craving nutrients. <laughs> and so if you just, actually swap a veggie snack in instead of 
having that cookie or bar or whatever that just happens to be available, then it'll manage your hunger much better and you won't have that same craving. I've also experimented with juice cleanses to see if that's true. And sure enough, it actually works, which is really annoying in some ways because <laughs> I do like, I do like to have, and, and as far as candy, I would say a hot tamale. Oh. Love some hot tamales if I'm going to go that route. I don't know. I don't know if you have a preference there. I mean, uh, I'm not a big cinnamon guy, and, and <laughs> okay. um, I'll go with the Mike and Ike style. Oh, I'll, okay. ride, I'll go with the Simil- Mike and Ike. Similar, like but chewy, just though. different. Yeah, Got just it. different flavor. All right. Jason, you look like you're about to jump in there. <laughs> no, you you have no sugar issues. Um, or did you? Oh, I did. You've, you're, you've eliminated your issues? I don't, I don't crave sugar. I, well, I take that back. Sometimes... And I haven't really figured out what it is that I eat, but I'll get I'll get basically like a blood sugar crash, and then I'll want within 15 minutes of eating, I want to have like some dark chocolate or something. Um, do you do man, you have so it? So H E B has these uh, <laughs> coconut like dark chocolate coconut almonds. Fuck, man, <laughs> is that your kryptonite? Do you yeah, eat them still, or is that just something you dream about? Now I eat a, <laughs> I eat a lot of dark chocolate. Um, but I mean, so like what so high percentage? Yeah, cacao. but like so also not all sugars are created equal. So I try to like avoid anything with high fructose corn syrup or anything like that in it as a sweetener, which is what most candy has in it. Right. Um, I like Mammoth Creamery's keto ice cream, and um, that shit's really good. Okay. <laughs> but um, but the point is, it's okay to dabble here and there in desserts. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're so not demonizing desserts completely. Yeah, no, I I, I agree hundred percent. We like definitely in our house. We're 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 foodies. We like a good meal of all all different things like that. And I think one of the interesting things too is it's important to remember too. It actually takes a little bit of of sugar to actually burn fat as well too. So part of that whole like you know removing like all like that 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 again part of removing all of those you know those things a little bit actually can can be really beneficial. A um, little bit of sugar is also like important for absorbing electrolytes in the digestive tract, those kind of things as well. It's just when you start to get up too, too high um, that it, it starts to become an, an issue. So um, that, that's the way I look at it is is, is you do if you if your body's not making it, if you're not intaking a little bit of it from like, you know, obviously like fruits, veggies, those kind of things are, are a good good source of it your body's going to have to go through a process called gluconeogenesis where it makes its own and so you know and and it's good that your body can do that because that's ultimately kind of some of the stuff that jason works on for fueling for 100 milers so he's not having to eat you know like all the time on his 100 milers basically being able to access body fat and and energy from stored resources but it's also important to know that, like, you know, you, you do need a little bit of, of glucose to actually burn fat for energy as well, too. Glu- glucose is also the primary fuel of the brain. Yeah. Right. And so so we got there was a little bit of geek speak there. Gluconeogenesis, <laughs> which is the process by which your body converts protein to what, glycogen. And then ultimately, like the liver breaks it down, turns it into glucose. glucose yeah. yeah. And then glucose is the fuel for your brain and so well like if we ever get into hardcore conversations on ketogenic diet then we'll get into like why macronutrients become super important as far as processes like gluconeogenesis and anyway um so on the sugar topic though 
any carbohydrate at the end of the digestive process is ultimately a sugar, right? They're all broken yeah, down. Yeah, they're all broken down. Yeah, all broken down into into sugar. It's just how quickly they release into the bloodstream and then their hormonal effect on the body, whether it be like like so if it releases too quickly, then your body releases a hormone called insulin that will then try to put that either it'll either store it like it as glycogen or store it as fat. And so that's that, that's where we start to see the trouble of like too much sugar too regularly is it starts to create that that hormonal effect that causes you to store body fat. It has you basically become more reliant on intaking sugar because when you're storing body fat, you're not liberating it. And so for somebody like a Jason, who's his race is going to be very dependent on being able to access his own stored body fat having a lot of excess like sugar and insulin swings throughout the day to where his body's more in this storage mode than this access mode actually challenges his ability to uh to ulti- like to to you know have this great like racing performance because he's not able to access it as efficiently as possible and so that, that becomes one of the issues with in, in, in that area as you look at it. And then typically from the U.S. standpoint, like most people in general are, you know, they're they're eating like they're running, you know, a marathon, but they're just, you know, going through their day to day avenues. And they're just and it's because they don't make their own energy efficiently. To me, uh, two areas or two things that would indicate you have a problem with sugar. One is if you have inconsistent energy levels throughout the day, that yeah. may be a sign. And, and two, if you crave it. Yeah, if you crave it, that's probably a problem. If you have it every now and then, and it kind of, you know, to enjoy it, fine. But if you're craving it, there's probably something wrong. Yeah, if you've got to have like you know like four like four or five like teaspoons of sugar in your coffee in the morning to get you going, probably then that that then that's that's you know that that's an issue. If coffee doesn't pick you up enough on its own, and you got to like you know have that like latte from from Starbucks and and get all that other stuff in it. Then that that's an issue, and then I, I think the thing that you've hit on the head is like that those crashes throughout the day where you you know you're having like sleep attacks or you just are really you know if people call you hangry like <laughs> there there's definitely some issue with Been these, there. these yeah. are normal <laughs> yeah right I used to I used to have to have sugar um, I used to have dessert before bed or else I couldn't sleep it was like that bad yeah like I just would have it and it wouldn't even be like I'd be immediately after dinner like it wouldn't even like wouldn't something like later on I'd be like hungry or whatever I just needed it or else I wouldn't be able to sleep it's that bad <laughs> but I, I saw a funny video though if you're struggling with uh, with sugar I haven't tried this yet but um, I, I saw uh, this one guy he had like a I forgot what he had in his hand maybe a cookie or a brownie or a cupcake or something and he would sniff it and then in his other hand, he had a, a vegetable or a piece of fruit, and then he'd go eat. He'd go <laughs> eat the thing. So like he's sending that. sending the mixed signals to his brain. He he'd, nice. he'd like sniff the cupcake real like take a big whiff, and then go and eat that that celery stick real quick, and then go <laughs> back to the muff or the the cupcake again. So I'm gonna try that out. I'll let you guys know how that works. <laughs> that reminds me of my parents telling me to hold my nose while I ate broccoli yeah. as a kid. You know? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh, yeah. tricking the sense senses. Yes. It's really good. The celery. I hate celery, by the way. It's not bad. It's, it's one not of the few, a fan. It's one of the few uh, foods that actually cuts back calories, right? It's neg- yeah, it's, it's in the, the negative calories. It's in the negative <laughs> calories. <laughs> it, it decre- yeah. There Which you go. means it's completely worthless. <laughs> Dip it in, in some ranch, you'd be Horse good. celery. What about all the <laughs> micronutrients? I know. Now, now, if you get in, now if you get into like the crazy alternative health world, man, like celery juice is like... The, is it good? It's like the godsend yeah. of, oh, of no. the whole... Everyone's, like, everyone's on the like celery juice right now. Yeah, I'm completely screwed. Yeah, the medical media, man. Everybody's on celery juice all over the place. 
place now. Is that good? Or what do you think? What do you think I, about I, it? I think so. Celery actually has a lot of really good okay. nutrients in it. So it is. Damn it. it. I was just, yeah, no, I heard about that. <laughs> I even, I even, I did it once. I'm, I'm I guilty of it. Once. <laughs> okay. So we're way too long on our thing here. Jason, we didn't really get into performance nutrition, but since you're our That's performance right. nutrition guru, we covered mostly on lifestyle nutrition. But if you're, if you were to, to, translate this daily dietary discussion into a takeaway or two that would then translate to performance nutrition meaning what you're using during your race or right before or after what would you say well i think we touched on that subject quite a bit where maybe like the easiest thing to cover off on and then we can expand on this conversation later is a lot of what noah covered which is race specificity and thinking about how your diet matches race specificity um so Centro's a miler. Right. You're a 100 miler. Let's talk about that comparison. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you need to, to be able to tap into fat stores over a 100-mile race. He does not over a one-mile race. Correct. So what does that mean? I mean, he's not going to be taking gels during the <laughs> during four laps of the track. But yeah, so I mean, how, how then does that play out? <laughs> so I, I guess... I'm going to maybe hem and haw on this a little bit or try to to infer that like we haven't really gotten into this topic and it's a big one. Yeah. I mean, like, right. We're in like a gaping rabbit hole here, but (laughs) um, I think that no matter what distance you're running, you can eat a diet that is, you know, healthy for humans, like something along a paleo guideline. And Real there, food, mostly so plants. Like not you too could much. go and check out the Faster Study. Um, Zach Bitter, who you've had on the podcast, participated in the Faster Study, and they've shown that actually those athletes living like a largely keto lifestyle are are, are have become better at the uptake of glycogen. Um, and so you never like just because you're not eating a shitload of carbs doesn't mean that your body can't fuel or perform off of that. And so where I take this metabolic flexibility approach, we'll get into this a lot more later, but if I'm in like an off season or a recovery cycle, I'm not going to eat a lot of carbohydrate outside of just the vegetables and the fruits I eat on a regular basis. Uh, as I ramp up volume and intensity, I start to eat more carbohydrate. Um, now in like during exercise, I'm also going to fuel on carbohydrate, but I'm going to go after a super starch product like you can or the carbohydrate product that's about to come out with human nutrition project that I've tested a little bit and I'm super excited about. So the super starch product, the thing is that it, uh, it won't lead to blood sugar spikes throughout the endurance activity. So if I eat, when I would use a product like Tailwind or eat a lot of gels or Cliff Blocks, as I would do for a long time, I would basically get amped up on the sugar and then I would crash down off of that. And so I try to get out of that cycle. My body's not used to having a lot of sugar input or simple carbohydrate. And so if I eat something that's going to slow burn, then it's going to help me kind of like stabilize my energy levels throughout the exercise. But I still need carbohydrate to get through the endurance activity. So I want a good source for that. And then also, uh, you know, I'll consume more fat and protein during a long endurance event than I would previously because I'm still trying to keep my body used to fueling on fat and accessing that. 
And so that's a, so still going to get carbohydrate in my day to day diet, no matter what, like the idea of a low carb diet is kind of weird. I just don't eat what I consider to be junk food. Um, but I get a lot of carbohydrate from plant and fruit sources, well, vegetable and fruit sources, which are all plants. And then, um, I eat more carbohydrate from things like sweet potatoes, um, or regular potatoes and especially fruit throughout my day to day diet. And then eat some carbohydrate when I'm exercising, but try to get some kind of like, um, low glycemic index carbohydrate source. But it goes back to that metabolic flexibility point, which is that you're trying to give yourself the ability to tap into either fat stores or glycogen stores, depending on the distance of your race, what you need, and then you'll supplement accordingly during activity. Any thoughts on that, Noah, before we try to wrap this thing in a bow? Yeah. So, I I mean, I think, you know, making sure that, like, I always say, like, the base of everybody's um, diet should come around protein. And so you should be around, like, one gram of protein per pound of body weight is about the average of uh, for an endurance athlete, somebody who's training intensely, like, you know, for, for anything, everything from a mile to a 100 miler. And then basically working working from there to figure out, you know, how well your body, toler- you know, calorie load how well your body will tolerate certain carbohydrates those kind of things always always the back to the the whole ph thing i think it would be fun for everybody to play around with and basically it's like if you're under 6.5 add more plants to your diet like michael pollan said if you're above 7.5 maybe a little bit more meat or protein to to kind of balance that out um so that that's kind of some of the, the the framework i think that people could utilize as like just to kind of play with on their own to kind of see how they're they're balancing certain things but i think really it is it's about kind of finding that uh that mix of of what works for you and that total insulin load that that your body so you're you're able to you know access your body fat for energy you have more stable blood sugar balances you just want to try to eliminate those those swings on a day-to-day basis so you're really wanting to uh to really dial in essentially your your carbohydrate tolerance and then just trying to focus on on real food that's the thing that like we can't you know like say enough is it's it's not there's no magic formula it's just kind of finding out that range that works for you there's no magic macro range and and then uh you know like we've talked about a bunch already just understanding the the demands of your race and it's like what you need to fuel for and how you need to be fueled to perform and so making sure that you're just doing that in a in a healthy level and then you know dialing in throughout the course of the uh, uh you know throughout the course of your your training cycles knowing when to like you know when you've got it generally good and then when you need to tighten down and so i think there's there there's a lot of stuff in this whole series that we could you know elaborate on more but i think the the big thing is 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 just focusing on trying to eat like real food uh focusing on on getting protein making sure that you're getting enough you know micronutrient foods from like you know your plants fruits vegetables those kind of things and so we've kind of basically told you a little framework on how you can quickly and simply analyze if you're doing that if you need to add more protein if you need to add more plants and uh and and for me i think that's just trying to for for this it's as simple as we can get you know Amazon will have a run on pH paper. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, one of the things is just listen to how you feel. Adjust accordingly based on what you put in your body. As you're walking away from this, Matt, thinking about trying to win another gold medal in a couple of years, what do you take away from this discussion? Definitely need to improve my diet. No, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely given me a lot to think about. Um, for sure, I've it's been in the back of my head for a couple of years now just about tightening up 
uh, a few things, but I think like in almost in anything, whenever you have when you make a big change, the hard the biggest step is just taking that first step. And and for me, I didn't know really like where to go, how to start, like what to do. Um, and I think this has given me a, a pretty good like mindset of like where to go from here and like just at least now I'm starting to have a conversation with myself and I'm going to obviously talk a lot to Noah uh, uh, these next couple of days about like certain certain foods that are good for my body and, and which ones aren't um, as we all are different and what he would recommend um, for me kind of moving forward. But I think that's a that's something that I've been pretty um, weak in uh, the last the last few years. And I think it's kind of um, shown in, in my um, overall health, just the amount of injuries I've had the last couple of years um, has been more than in my whole career. So I think I've gotten away with a lot of things in, in the past and I think this was a good wake up call for me and, and, um, hearing Jason really just kind of speak on, on his, um, diet before he changed it. I can relate to a lot of things that he went through currently with me right now. And, and I think, um, again, it just reiterates and reinforces that I do need to, um, change some things and, and start to do it now sooner than later. So. So you have to buy Shalane's cookbook now. So you have to support your <laughs> Everyone teammates. on the team has one. Yeah. Yeah. I think she yeah. said it to everyone. I, I, I have it in our kitchen, so well, it's I awesome. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. I think what you said Why earlier. buy it when they, she's in the same city. She'll just cook for right. me. <laughs> there you go. I think what you said earlier, too, about taking one thing, taking it in small chunks, and I think that's true in training, too. It's like don't change everything at once. Change one thing. Change small little things until you learn what works, and then if it works, keep doing it. If it doesn't, change it. Yeah, if someone came to me and I, I – keep going back to to training because i'm more knowledgeable with that than diet but if someone came to me and was like hey i'm i'm not doing any running right now what would you have me do i want to run a a great marathon i wouldn't tell them to go run 100 miles next week you know it's we got to build up and i feel like it's no different right now like from where i'm coming from you know i i'm going to hopefully make a lot of changes to my diet but I, i need to start with like some basic things cutting out all the sugar i'm sure i'm eating right now and and maybe adding one or two little elements and just kind of keep improving and adding um, new things to my diet and again seeing what works what doesn't work you know um so I, I think that's no different than any other aspect in in anyone's life as we wrap this up thanks for joining us matt this is really awesome <coughs> quite a bonus to have you on here if people want to follow you this year i know if it's a world championship year what do you have coming up yeah, so um, luckily this year, Worlds is pushed back. I'm going to need every month I can get, every <laughs> week I can get. Um, World Champs are in Doha this year, and so it being so hot during the summer, they've pushed it to like um, late September, early October. So everything else is pretty much kind of pushed back. Uh, pretty classic this year is end of June, the U.S. Championships, or end of July, with Hayward um, being renovated right now. Um, the U.S. Champs are in, in Des Moines, and the pre-classic is down in Palo Alto. So um, definitely a, a different year than I think any professional athlete has seen in the past, um, which also allows less time from this world championship to, to Tokyo. So, um, yeah, uh, we will pretty much coming up on one year out, and we won't even be close to the world champs. So it's kind of a weird, weird yeah. year. But, um, but yeah, th- those are kind of the highlights for me this year, just – pre-classic u.s championships and and uh the world champs so um just kind of hopefully get healthy gain some good momentum going into to tokyo next year awesome well we'll be cheering you on thanks for joining us thanks jason noah 
for joining yeah, again. Th- thank you guys for uh, <laughs> this is this has been super educational for me. And, and, uh, <laughs> I hope so. I, I'm glad you guys invited me. I mean, I was just trying to crash anyways to learn a few things. So this has been awesome. So I really appreciate uh, really, you really guys. Cool. Just yeah. And thanks to our audience for listening. This has been the third episode of Four. We'll have another one posting next week on this little mini series on the Human Performance Project. If you have questions, fire them our way, either to me or Noah or whoever, so we can put those on the next episode. Next episode, we'll be talking about more adaptive training and how do you make changes based on what you're seeing, but not only in your diet, but in other aspects of your training. So we'll look to wrap the series there. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com and follow us on Twitter at Rogue Running. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon.